Welcome back to The Chosen Life. I'm your host, The Chosen Lawyer. And today I have on a very esteemed friend, brother, in fact. Uh, he puts the Corman in Cormans, Mr. David Corman. David, welcome to The Chosen Life. Well, thanks, Jonathan. It's, uh, it's an honor for me to be here. I think you've done a fabulous job with this, with this show. And I don't know how, what episode you're up to right now. It took a while for me to get here, but it's, it's been looking forward to this. Uh, it's a real honor to be part of this. Well, I appreciate that. I was telling you that we had to get everything just right before you're going to make it on. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this should be episode number 36, wow. if not 37. And you are now part of the new talk show set. Yeah. So originally it was a virtual plus in-person in the podcasting set of the high tables. And then putting together the construction of the right set for a talk show like Ellen, Oprah, and getting the lighting just right. And then when we were finally fine-tuned it, we were happy with it. That's when you had to come on. Well, I'm happy you got it all set up. I, for me, it's just great to be here and to, to have the opportunity to talk to you about whatever we're going to talk about. So go ahead, hit me with uh, whatever you want. I'm excited to be here to, as part of the chosen well, this is not a Jerry Springer type format, so I'm not going to be bringing on any illegitimate children or anything like that. So you, you're, you're rest assured you're safe. Well, I know you. I know you did your research and you found none, so I know I'm safe. I've looked for all. The, there's no skeletons <laughs> in David Corman's car. This man is as squeaky clean as it comes. But we're going to talk about both professional and personal before we get into our topic today, which will be about sports because we both love sports and everybody yeah. loves hearing about sports. So we're going to talk about Toronto sports today, actually. But first and foremost is how we've kind of come together. And people ask me all the time, uh, wait, your last name is Hakoen? It's not Corman? I thought you were Corman. I said, nope. And they said, so wait, you're partner in a law firm, but your name's not there. And I said, well, there's a reason why. Because the firm was Corman's. And you're a Corman, obviously. And your cousin, Jerry, as well. And Jerry had originally founded the firm. And then you came to be. And then I came to be. So it's funny how it all evolves. But I told them, you know, think of it essentially like Corman's is a brand. It's like Walmart. Like, you know, if I came and owned Walmart tomorrow, I wouldn't change the name Walmart. So it's a known entity. And that's how I felt about the Corman's name. Yeah. And, and that was sort of the decision to going to when we changed the name to Corman's LLP and put an S on the end of Corman's. We're sort of getting it away from it being purely our family name because it just, we're just it was sort of coincidental that Jerry and I got together. We happened to have the last, the same last name. And, uh, you know, and, and his old firm had gone through different evolutions and different names and it had a different name when I was, I think when I first joined, it was Corman Turkin and, and something, uh, Corman Turkin Company. And then we, we changed it to Corman Associates at one point, but then we just sort of want to get just to a branding name as so we put the S on it and became Corman's LLP. So, uh, I think when we first, I said, you know, we got to change your name to Huck Corman and I don't think you've officially gone through the name change yet, but uh, you're a Corman as much as I am a uh, Corman at Corman's. I appreciate that. People either call me Jonathan Corman or Jonathan Chosen. They're not sure exactly <laughs> yeah. because we are the chosen lawyers. The obviously. chosen Corman. But um, for people to understand the name and the legacy of the Corman name, uh, if, when you're born as a Corman, essentially, unless, unless you happen to be a famous author, there's going to be one of two professions you're going into. It's law or clothing, right? <laughs> Yeah, and, and our, my family was in clothing, and uh, it was something I, I did. I worked all, you know, all my, you know, throughout my youth, uh, and, you know, my high school days and everything, and, and beyond that with my, my dad in the clothing business whenever I had you know, time off. And I, and I loved the industry, but it was never something I really wanted to get into, nor did they really encourage me to go into that. And, and law school was really something better for me, and that's the, the route I went. 
So, but and I had a good source for, for clothing. And while he was in business and my uncle was in business and I got a brother-in-law in the clothing business. So uh, I've been covered uh, for the most part. And so you had, these, you had two options. For me, when I was born, I had no options because my father was a real estate lawyer before me. And my brother was supposed to be the real estate lawyer, but they moved from Israel to Canada. His English wasn't the best. So he came in as a teenager. So he went into accounting. So when I was born, all they said to me was, you're going to be the lawyer. That's it. And I didn't know any different. I just knew I was going to be a lawyer. So I literally programmed from day one for it. So it kind of made it easy that way. But as you know, when you get into the profession, I tell this to a lot of young lawyers, uh, you have to eventually embrace your fit in this profession, not what you think the profession is going to be. You think it's sexy when you watch shows like back in the day, LA Law, Ally McBeal, not quite as fun as it seems. Yeah, no. And, and those shows were based on litigation firms for the most part and a, diff- a totally different lifestyle, different mentality to be that type of a lawyer than to be on the commercial side of transactions trying to get deals done instead of fighting over deals that are falling apart. So, you know, I never really wanted to go into that. And I don't think you did either. Like we're more deal makers right. than deal breakers. And, uh, you know, and I like closing a deal with another lawyer to try and get it done as opposed to fighting with another lawyer to see who's going to win for their clients. So, it, you know, different mentality. I remember when I had uh, a litigation lawyer at a law firm come to me, the partner in the, in the, in the firm, and he said to me, why don't you come join the department? Why don't you come join the practice? Let's bring you into litigation. You're a great writer. You can help me with factums. I said to him, I have no interest in litigation whatsoever. He looks at me, he goes, what? You don't think I was a real estate corporate lawyer coming up? You don't go looking for litigation. Litigation goes looking for you. That was his motto to me. Yeah. And I can get, I'm sure there are people that do love litigation and, are, and you know, are born to do it. But a lot of people, I think, are grown into it out of a need. Like I think in a lot of businesses at the end of the day, especially when you're a young professional coming up, you see what the needs of the company are. You kind of find your niche. And not everybody gets to do what they thought they were going to do from day one, right? Yeah, I think it's personality type. I think certain personalities are geared to be litigators. They're geared some for civil litigation, some for criminal law, because you have a stomach for that, some for family law, which I couldn't have a stomach for. And I think other personalities are much geared more towards a, a commercial type of practice, uh, you know, whether it's real estate or business or something like that, just by the nature of your personality. You know, you, gotta, you can't put a, a round peg in a square hole. You got to find the right thing for you. I, but I know we're going to talk sports, but we are. But we growing are. up, I was not going to be a lawyer. I thought I would be doing something in the sporting world. I even remember being in, in high school, applying to university and everything, thinking that I want to. From all the sports I played growing up, at some point I want to coach sports and teach sports, and maybe at the university level. And that's where I was really going until my my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, said, eh, "You got to aim a little bit higher, maybe than that." And I was always interested in law, but that's where I. That's where my mindset was growing up because I was just sports, sports, sports all the time. So I got to make a living doing something sports, not maybe not as a professional athlete, but somewhere. That's what I thought I would do and then made a right-hand turn at some point and became a lawyer. Well, let's start segueing over there because one of the things I was going to mention was the whole idea, premise of the Chosen Life uh, program is in reality, this is actually a spinoff show. So for those people out there who love Frasier, for example, well, Frasier was actually a spinoff from Cheers. And uh, the Jeffersons back in the day was a great show. It was a spinoff from All in the Family. So in fact, The Chosen Life in some ways is a spinoff from your program, 
uh, called David and David on Real Estate, which I've been on a couple of times already at least. And it's funny how we all segue into it. Uh, so before we get started on sports, you know, what I was going to say was the whole premise of today's episode when I was thinking about it was people that knew me and knew you through the program said, yeah, I know David Corman. Yeah, he's on David and David on real estate, right? David loves real estate. And I tell him, wait a minute, um, you know, David loves sports, right? And they're what? David Corman loves sports? And the reason they don't know is because it doesn't come up generally on your program, right? Your program right. is geared towards real estate and developments in the industry. You bring out all sorts of guests from that, that, that uh, vicinity. But like, Again, where would it come up as far as sports except on The Chosen Life? So today you get to meet the well-rounded <laughs> David Corman. No, yeah, the man loves real estate. He does a program on real estate. But guess what? The man loves sports as well. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I've always had a passion for sports, you know, playing it and, and watching it as you, know, as, as you do, sports fan. And uh, this morning we, we recorded our 60th episode of the David and David podcast. And we did a recap. And part of it was, you know, there was a fairly early two-part series uh, that we did where we were talking about sports and how sports influenced us, him as a real estate broker, me as a, as a lawyer and, and, and as small business owners and how stuff that we did while we were playing sports and watching sports and observing sports, there's so much that you learn. You don't even know you're learning it at the time. And later on, you're using some of that as in your professional life. You know, things you know, like the leadership techniques that I learned, you know, playing sports and then coaching sports and, and all the mentorship we had. And so we did a couple episodes on that. We were just we were talking about it this morning in our, on our recap show. And, and it, it just comes full circle. You don't even realize where some of this training came from. But so much of it, to me, goes back to sports. And, and as much as I like real estate and I love my, our, our law firm and, and practicing and helping people that way, when I go home or I'm just hanging out with friends, I'm not talking real estate very often unless they're asking me questions. I'd rather talk sports any day of the week, you know, with my friends and family and my kids are into it too. So uh, that's why I'm excited to do this. When you and I are sitting and, for example, we have interviews going on, how often are you and I using sports metaphors? Literally all the time. All the time. And we're always saying to ourselves and even with the candidates, frankly, are you a team player? Are you a part of 25, 30 people? Yep. And are you going to function as a team or, or are you a sole person? Like, are you, do you play for yourself? There are sports that are very individual centric, like tennis, for example, unless you're in doubles. Yeah. Yep. And versus, let's say, baseball, for example, where it's a complete team sport, right? Right. And especially when you're in a team environment, when you're running any kind of company that has any amount of employees, when you find people that have a sports mentality and playing as a team, I think they're going to function a lot better in that company as, as an employee, as a professional. Yeah, I know. I agree 100%. And I know you and I have talked about it too when we're, we're, when we're trying to lead our, our law firm and hire good people and look for those team players. But we also focus on you know, what, what are their strengths and weaknesses? Where do they aspire to be? How can we help them get there? Because like you learn when you're running any team, you're only as good as your weakest player. And you got to find a good role for that weakest player. And even the weakest player, like I don't want to use that term weak because I don't think we have any weak people in our office, but you find out what they're, what they're better at. You use them, you know, gear them to their strengths and help them develop. And the more you can do that, it, it just elevates the whole team to function better. So, you know, these are concepts that come out of, out of sports. Yeah. And, uh, and we apply them in the business world. How often have you seen a star athlete that did very well on a team, goes to a new city, new team, and just falters. And for whatever reason, it's just not clicking for them. 
they move on to another environment and it, the, the light bulb goes on again. And for some people, they get so shell-shocked, I would say, that they never come back. You know, it's amazing how different environments, different people, different coaching. Right. But I think it ultimately, it comes from in here as far as how they program themselves, what kind of self-talk they give themselves. And there are people that operate very gun-shy, that are afraid to almost act, think, say, versus people that have that experience, build that up, and then they produce. You know, and again, that's a very similar team setting. And I know you were an athlete that coming up the ranks in high school. Mm -hmm. I was shocked to see you never played NBA basketball, even though you were a star basketball player back in the day, right? Well, you know, I don't know. At a certain level, you know, I, w I was able to play. Uh, you know, had I been taller, <laughs> you know, you, you never know what the opportunities could have been. But, you know, I'm five foot nine basketball player. Uh, you know, I could jump in my day. You know, my kids will, 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 think no 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 I, those are stories that he can't prove anymore but you know i used to be able to touch a touch a rim at five nine and get get way above a rim i could you know i could dunk when dunking wasn't allowed when i played um but you know you can only go so far unless you have the physical abilities as well but i played as you know at as high a level as i could play you know basketball uh, you know through through high school and university at law school in in private leagues and i grew up playing soccer too and you know i, I won a, a I'm very proud to say I won a Canadian championship as a soccer player when I was 14 years old with a group of guys. So I've played some sports at a relatively high level, not to, to, to become professional, but I had some fabulous training through that process, fabulous coaching in these sports, and, uh, and you still draw on those things all the time. If I was to grab one of your high school yearbooks, <laughs> pull out one of the pictures there with a basketball, would I be able to use that as a thumbnail for this episode? Uh, yeah, you may have to get permission from the other guy that was a uh, part of that, uh, that, that picture. Um, but, um, you know, it's funny, you do something in high school, and, which was a long time ago for me, and I get reminded of it all the time. From, you know, one, you got to be careful. The modern day, you got to be really careful where you're taking pictures. But this is a picture that was actually in our, in our high school yearbook, and it just sort of became famous. And, and, you know, over 40 years later, I'm reminded of it all the time. So it was with yourself, a basketball, a friend, and that's about it, right? Well, we each had a basketball. Mm -hmm. Well, you didn't um, share the basketball. We didn't share a basketball. Okay. We each had basketballs okay. for our high school picture. We were the we were the co-presidents of the Boys Athletic Association, and they had mm -hmm. to do a they wanted to put pictures for the yearbook, and we decided to uh, you know, to, to tell to get a photographer into the into the boys' uh, locker room, and we stripped down. We're holding nothing but basketballs. The school decided to put that picture in, like we were covered up with the with the basketballs. And when the yearbook came out, I remember our, the the head of the phys ed department put a poster size of this in the showcase that had all the trophies with a caption of this picture saying that ping pong balls would suffice with these pictures. With, and he wouldn't take that down in spite of our protest. It was up there for weeks. That picture. Well, I'm going to tell you that I don't have this picture. I'm not <laughs> trying to post this picture, but I can tell you that people are not going to leave it in the comments. And I certainly encourage people to subscribe, leave their comments. You know, David, you happen to have that picture? Feel free to share it. I'm sure it'll bring good conversation. Yeah. Now, getting to today's topic, David, you've been uh, your whole life around Toronto sport. Yes. Uh, as I have. You have seen the sporting world a few more years than I have in this landscape. And we were talking about it off air, and we're going to stick to five, the five major sports here. And we're going to go one by one. Today's a State of the Union address for Toronto sports. Where are we at with each team? 
And when is the next parade coming? When's the next championship? Where are these teams at in general? So being a sports fan in Toronto, I know you're going to love this. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to jump right into it. We're going to start with team number one because they're the most active currently and it being the Toronto Blue Jays in Major League Baseball, MLB. And one of the things you were talking about was you were a fan of baseball in Toronto before we had the Blue Jays back in 77 when they came. Right. And I went to opening game uh, in the snow in, in 77, which I'll never, uh, I'll never forget. And actually, I went from that game uh, down at Exhibition Stadium in the snow against the Chicago White Sox. When that game ended, I went over to Maple Leaf Gardens uh, for a Leafs playoff game. So it was like one of the best doubleheaders I, I ever did. Um, but I was a, a baseball fan way before Toronto got a team. I was rooting for them to get a team. And I hate to admit, you know, the team that I used to love, but it was the Boston Red Sox. So, and I'm still a Boston fan of a lot of sports, but some of that just predated Toronto having a team. So, like, the Red Sox were my team before the Blue Jays arrived. But it was instantly that the Blue Jays arrived, you know, it was a love affair with the Blue Jays. And Boston, you know, you start hating as time goes on. But if the Blue Jays are out of it, some part of me still reads roots for Boston somehow. Same thing in basketball. Before the Raptors, I was a, I was a Boston Celtics fan. And it's interesting because I have this Yankee affinity. And you want to talk about how the universe kind of works. So I've always loved the Yankees for whatever reason, just the, uh, the folklore and the history of them. Two of my favorite players were Joe DiMaggio and Nick Swisher, both on the Yankees. And turns out we all three of us share a birthday. What are the oh, odds? Really? Yes. Really? What are the odds of that? They maybe lived, lived a little bit more of a glamorous life than I did. But again, we have that kind of uh, connection. Now, the connection in Toronto, when you talk about baseball, it has to come up with the San Francisco Giants because on two different occasions, there was threat that the Giants were going to move to Toronto. Right. First time, a lot of people know before we got the expansion team, Blue Jays, the Giants threatened to move here. But during the peak World Series years, when the Giants didn't have their new stadium, they threatened to put a second team in Toronto because we were that much of a baseball market, apparently. And they were talking about putting them in an exhib exhibition stadium at that time. Right. Now, I've only seen one game in Exhibition Stadium my whole life. Uh, it was, I think, a 20-inning affair or 19-inning affair with the Seattle Mariners. It was my first game ever live. I thought, I didn't know. Like, I was very young and I thought, are all games supposed to be like this? But sitting on the hard benches at Exhibition Stadium in that cold air by the lake was atrocious. Yeah. How did anybody go there? Yeah, look, it, it, was, it was a challenge, you know, for them to get enough people in there. And if you remember, like, they built, like, the baseball stadium part of it, like the horseshoe around first base and third base, but they still used, in the outfield, they were using, like, the old football stadium that would go, you know, about halfway across the outfield. And that was the less expensive seats. And, you know, you go in there and you had a terrible view of the game and a terrible angle. It wasn't nearly as good experience. But, but it wasn't great, you know, the part that they built just for baseball wasn't great either. Um, but, you know, it still got, gave them enough capacity to have a major league team in. And they'd, they'd, fill, they'd get some huge crowds in, even though some people were sitting way out in the outfield, like you, you couldn't even see the game from there. Considering now in this, state, this day and age in baseball that Oakland is lucky to get sometimes 4,000 people in there, it goes to show you the stadium makes a big difference. Now, when, we, when they opened up the Sky Dome at the time, which is now called the Rogers Center, mm -hmm. which I think they should have called Rogers Field. I think it would sound a lot more baseball-like. Uh, that was considered at the time the eighth wonder of the world. It was such a big deal. 
And then before you knew it, we were the last of the cement stadiums. All of a sudden, they had all these open-air stadiums with the grass. They found a way to have stadiums with retractable roofs that could have grass. They looked at the feasibility to do that in Toronto. They decided not to do it for whatever reason. But they are upgrading the stadium. They've started the renovations. It's looking pretty great. They have big, big plans for it into the future. So let's assume right now in Toronto, I think times are good from a baseball fan point of view. You got yourself decent to good stadium with a great stadium ahead with all the renos. You got a nice young team going, uh, playoff contenders. Um, where the Blue Jays are at today, do you see us having a parade anytime soon? Do you see the World Series coming to Toronto? I think they're on track. They've got a, they've got a very competitive team right now, and they're probably only a few players away of, of really being that contending team. They, they might even be good enough right now because they can put it together. The biggest problem I think the Jays have is the division that they're in. It's just hard to get out of that division. Like they can have a great season, and then all of a sudden the Yankees, like they did this year, came out of nowhere. Nobody nobody predicted that they were going to have the type of season to just run away with the division. Now they've come back a little bit lately. You know, if they continue on the playing the way they have the last couple of weeks, maybe it'll actually get closer. But if, you know, this year it's the Yankees. Last year it was uh, Tampa. The year before it was Boston. We've got Baltimore coming up. It's tough just to, to win their division. If you don't win your division, then you're in the wild card spot, which is tough to compete for. And, uh, you know, and then you don't get the home field advantage. If you get a tougher opponent in the first round, it makes it really hard. So anybody coming out of, out of the, the Blue Jays conference, the East, has, it, has a difficult task. I remember growing up, the biggest rivalries I loved watching with the Blue Jays were the Tigers and the Brewers. I thought those were great, great uh, rivals for us. Brewers, from a, from a geography point of view, I kind of get them in the central. But the Tigers? For us not to be in the same division as the Tigers with our proximity, right. I always thought was insanity. Yeah. And I think it's time for realignment, not just from the, uh, the playability standpoint, like the Yankees should be in the same division with the Mets or uh, we're going to do a complete overhaul, but just having the Tigers, just with the pure proximity and the rivalry and bringing that back, I think it'd be a lot of fun. But man, like we got it very tough and I don't see it changing anytime soon. I mean, the Rays, they just find a way with, with great, I guess, coaching and analytics and everything else, how they put it together. But as long as you have the Yankees and the Red Sox there, you're always going to be in for a battle pretty much. Yeah, yeah, especially, you know, it's a league that doesn't have a salary cap. So no matter what the Jays spend, no matter how successful the Jays are, and they've been a very successful franchise, you know, they, they get TV revenue, they get a good gate all the time, they sell a lot of merchandise. But no matter what they spend on players, they're always going to be outspent by, by the Yankees and the Red Sox. So unless the rules changed and they put a cap on it, Toronto's always going to be a disadvantage. And, and the Red Sox and the Yankees are always going to find a way to spend enough to be competitive. Now, with so that's all, hard. But with all the wildcard teams, being able to squeak in, I think, is, is, a, is realistic for a lot of teams. And once you're in there, once you're in a short series, you never know what's going to happen. For me right now, where I'm seeing the Jays, I, I still love the amount of young players we got, the hitters, but it's that pitching. It's always pitching, pitching, pitching. And if you think back to our World Series years, how strong and dominating our pitching is. We technically think about right now, Ryu's gone. He was our supposed to be our, our ace, essentially. Right. Barrios is kind of there, not there. Manoa's, you know. Good at home, not on the road, or, or is it the other way around? Yeah. He's inconsistent at best. Yeah. Manoa's great. The, the relief pitching is hit and miss. I think without top solid pitching at the end of the day, I can't see this thing going. My greatest concern is eventually the young players are going to grow up. 
salary cap or as far as uh, until you start paying luxury tax. And some of these guys are going to reach free agency at some point. I don't know. They want to play in Toronto, not want to play in Toronto. So somebody want to move on just for whatever reason. It's hard to keep this day and age in, in any professional league, a core group of young players. Because eventually they, it's going to burst. Unless literally like just unlimited money. And I don't think the Jays are prepared to spend unlimited money. I think they're prepared to go over the cap each year. But I think that our window is starting to shrink little by little by little. And this year, for example, I don't see it happening on any level. If you look at the National League where the Cardinals, the Dodgers, like some of these powerhouse teams, like we're not even close on the pitching end. Um, the Yankees just gave up a, a pitcher in a, in a trade at the deadline, Montgomery. And he's been lights out for the Cardinals. And I'm like watching this thinking, how do you give up pitching in how this day? How can they age? give him up when the Yankees are the contending team? Yeah. But, but that's how it kind of goes. Because, uh, because of their depth of pitching. So from the Jays' point of view right now, if I was a betting man, I can't see the World Series happening. I think they'll get into the playoffs, maybe squeak in. Don't know if they'll even get past the one round. But once we start to lose one or two of those young core players, I think it's going to become undone, unfortunately. And I've, I've lived through it so many years now as you have. After those World Series years, we never recovered. You know, it seems like we're constantly playing in that mediocre, you know, kind of middle of the road kind of uh, sense. And as a lot of teams are in baseball, it seems like literally there's few upper teams, a lot at the bottom, and there's these middle teams. I feel like we're in the middle all the time. And I don't, I don't see a, for, uh, a future where the Jays are actually going to win the World Series anytime in this core's group. Well, I think your analysis is bang on. I, I agree with you. It all comes down to pitching. Because you look at it, other teams, you know, you watch some visiting teams come in that, that we don't see all the time, that we don't know really well. And you go, you see who's batting lead off for them and then who's batting second and they got a really good guy, young up and cover, and then someone's really good is hitting third and they got someone good at four and five. And then it tails off. And it's every team, everybody's got what they think is a really good core and they put them in the order, you know, one to five or six, and then it starts to tail off. So I look at the Jays the same way. Like the Jays are really good. They could put a really good batting lineup. They can look really good one day. But I don't think they're that different. As much, you know, we're homers, so we think, oh, you know, Bichette is better than your Bichette or, or our Vladdy is better than your Vladdy. But a lot of these guys are really on par. Every team's got this, this core of three or four or five guys, and then they fill around them. But what distinguishes the teams that are really going to win and not win, I think it all comes down to pitching. You know, having those not just five starters, but you need a, a six, seven, sometimes an eighth starter because you know guys are going to break down. So you have to have that in the system. And then you got to have a lights out bullpen. And I think that's where the Jays come up short. So I'd put our starting nine, you know, fielders, outfielders and, and infielders against most teams. But I don't think we, we got the pitching that, that the Dodgers have and the Yankees have and, and Houston has. And, and I, I don't have anything against Mark Shapiro, Shapiro. You know, and, and that group together. The one that I was shocked, quite frankly, was we had our guy, Double A, Alex Anthopoulos, and he goes off. He just, he's a VP or whatever he was with the Dodgers for a little while. They're doing well. Shows up in Atlanta. Look at where the Braves are at. Look at where the Jays are at. I think there's your answer right there. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you had somebody, especially homegrown like that, leading at the top, and to me, a lot of it, it comes from the top. Wherever you're saying at the top, that trickles down as we'll talk about the other teams. It seems to be pretty consistent that way. If Anthopolis was leading it, I feel a lot better about where we're at as far as pulling the trigger on certain moves and everything else, the way he's shown. This group, I feel like, is content right now to stay middle to top middle of the road. And maybe that brings in money and maybe that brings in a new stadium, but it's not bringing championships, period. And I think they admitted that when they 
when they hired these guys and and the philosophy that these guys showed it was like no we have a plan we have an ability to get our team competitive year after year after year we can challenge to be a playoff team and build up our system and build up our firm so we can be competitive but they haven't shown us once that they got the guts when you're on when you're really competitive are you going to make those key moves to take you over the top to really go for a run for it and, and they seem to back off from that every year and say no we're going to be competitive we're going to be good enough to make the playoffs and maybe we get through a round or two and just fall short but they're not making those key moves like when the when the jays won when they won the world series they picked up guys you know at the deadline to put them over they picked up you know david Cohn, and they picked up you know like great players ricky henderson, ricky henderson you know to get them over the top and if they hadn't done that they would have been a good competitive team. Maybe they would have won, but chances are they wouldn't have because they wouldn't have had the depth in pitching, the depth in, in, the, in the everyday players to, to push them over the top. And I don't think the current group is doing that. They've never shown that risky move. Yeah, there was talks we were going to get Soto, and we did not. But I remember very vividly when Tulowitzki came here and that group came together, right? We made, put up all those moves at that deadline. What happened? We took off the Batista bat flip. That was a great time. Mm-hmm. Not seeing that right now, you know, right. and, I, and I, I don't know if we're going to. I, I'm actually laughing my mind to ask you this question, but as we're transitioning to the next league, uh, who actually owns, which conglomerate owns the Jays? Is it Rogers alone on that one? Do you know offhand? Um, yeah, I think it's Rogers. I'm I pretty sure. It, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not an MLSE team. Right. It's, it's, it's Rogers as far as I know. So this is this is the funny part of it. We're both sports fans, lifelong sports fans, lived in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And some of these things we kind of have to question ourselves. Who owns it? Where are they playing out of? This will kind of come up. So that's I kinda had this ask myself a couple of times. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Rogers. Well, Rogers is very concerned about selling uh, subscriptions to internet and phones, etc. They're playing out of the Rogers Center. They advertise that throughout Blue Jays games. To me, the Jays are a medium to sell the main product. The Jays are not the main product. Right. Period. Right. Transitioning. Which is yeah. why they want to keep them competitive year after year after year, because that's profitable. And if they go the other route and, and throw all their chips in, and you might get a championship, but then you might go through a 10-year period of not being very good. Uh, because that, that, right, that follows sometimes. I don't think this franchise wants to take that risk. They want to be more consistent, profit-making, have, have content for their, uh, you know, for Rodgers. Let's switch gears now to the, to the one team, the one league where I'm telling you I see the most promise, most excitement in this city, and it's the Toronto Raptors, 10,000%. I can tell you this, having gone to enough sports cities around North America, and there's a buzz about the Raptors wherever you go. People mm-hmm. love what they're doing. And to me, that starts with, on top, Masai Ujiri. Like, what else can you say about the man except for, that's a leader. Yeah, yeah, that's a leader, um, you know, world-class guy. What, what you hear about him, what he's done away from the Raptors, you know, what he does in, in the Canadian community, what he does in his home country community, you know, and, and all the other things that he supports, he gets a tremendous amount of respect around, you know, it all comes back. You know, we put stuff into community, but you get the respect back. And that's why uh, players are prepared to listen to him and, and consider Toronto as an option. And I think you're right. It all comes down to his type of uh, leadership. But there's also a guy who was prepared to make the bold move yes. to win a championship. Yeah, I mean, look at the move, the Kawhi Leonard move. Now, you look at when Kawhi went to the Clippers and how that played out. 
that could have easily gone our way also as far as yeah. load management, injuries, uh, issues with team doctors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I think we caught lightning in the bottle that year. I think we got him at the right place at the right time. It all came together nicely. That was a magical year. We all felt it living in the city. Mm-hmm. We can't tell you we knew we were going to win the championship, but we knew we had a chance every night. And that was a great, great feeling. Many ways, I kind of think maybe they lucked out as far as not having signed to a long-term deal because it hasn't played out so well in the Clippers. We may have been doing that as well. But look at how the team has been functioning since he left. That's, to me, a model of a team. You have some very talented people, some mediocre players. They all play to their strengths. They play as a team, though. And that's one of the things I love about watching the Raptors, even without Kawhi. Yeah, and look, it, it was a ballsy move. You're, you're getting rid of DeMar DeRozan, an all-star in the league, and all these years later, he's still an all-star. You know, he's, he's sort of carrying like the Chicago franchise right now. But they sort of recognize that he, as good as he is, as talented as he is, he's not necessarily the type of player that makes everybody around him better. It's more, you know, give him the ball and clear out, and, and he'll do it, and he can score. But I think adding Kawhi sort of taught everybody else. Like, here's a guy who's really good offensively, but man, this guy can get down and play defense. And he's going to get that big steal when you need it. And he pushes everybody else to do the same thing. So it's guys like, um, you know, Fred Van Vliet that, you know, that, that learn from that. And, some, and Siakam, you know, who are up and comers. And they see this guy, you know, with, with his reputation, he's already a champion and he's diving for balls and he's playing as hard on defense as anybody and they say okay if he could do it i could do it that's what it takes to win and you got to recognize that and and i think that's what you know the management did that's why they needed Kawhi. it's not just how good Kawhi could be it's can he elevate everybody else and some athletes do that and some don't so the hot rumor in toronto it's been there for a while now is this guy named kd kevin durant um Maybe a bit of a malcontent, you can say. Whatever yeah. being is going on with him today yeah. or tomorrow. You know, and same thing with Kyrie Irving. We don't hear about Kyrie here at all, but we sure hear about KD. And my question to you is, what are the chances you think the Raptors get KD? And do you even want KD here, knowing the price you're going to have to pay to get him? Uh, personally, my short answer is no, I don't want him. Um, I, I think a fabulous basketball player, an all-time great. I've got a huge amount of respect for or what he can do in a basketball court. But he's 34 years old. He's averaged playing 41 games a year a season over the last eight years. Okay? I heard that in the radio coming down here today, so I didn't make that up. Excellent. Um, so when you, when you look at that, like Scary. there's a significant price to pay to get him. Because if Toronto were to get him, they would have to give up significant assets. That's what the, you know, what the Nets were we're looking for so you're going to get rid of a couple you know one or two of your current starters plus some benching plus a whole bunch of draft picks he's 34 years old and, he, and chances are he's not going to play more than half the games so who's playing when he's not playing and who's and if he is playing do you have enough around him to go for the championship when they did it with Kawhi, it was different we didn't have you know we gave up a major guy in, in demar Derozan, but we didn't have to strip the team so when Kawhi got here there was enough around him to be competitive and then he happened to elevate everybody's game because of the type of player and his leadership on the court. So it worked. I don't see that working with a 34-year-old broken down Kevin Durant, as good as he can be. Um, I, I don't see it. 
But on that token, without KD, you look at the core they have right now, I'm really excited about it. Like Scotty Barnes, like people were kind of flacking on him a little bit for drafting him. And what did he do? He just went out and got the rookie of the year. He was our, one of our most consistent players, if not our most consistent players last year. High energy guy, amazing on both ends of the court. That's a guy you build around. And if, if we're going to get KD, we're going to lose him. You're going to lose him. They, right. There's no deal without him, apparently. Right. And, and likely Siakam as well. Why would you gut your team at that point? You're right. Yeah, then, then who's KD playing with when he is yeah. here? Like, are there, is there enough to be you know, competitive, let alone win a championship? Because you're going to get your team stripped and you're going to lose all your draft picks in your future. I'd rather take my chances with Scotty Barnes and his development because he could, you know, he may not be a Kevin Durant, but, but he can certainly be at least a DeMar DeRozan type player that you, that you can build around and be a really key piece. And you've got Fred Van Fleet and you've got a few other guys and you look for the next guy and you do the next draft. I think their chances of winning might be greater over the next few years by b- continuing building that way as opposed to trying to go for, you know, I like the idea of going for home runs sometimes like we did last time, but I don't think KD's the right guy to do it at his age and with his injuries. I love how in sports, things go in cycles. So for example, in baseball, Kansas City wins the World Series because they have three closers in the bullpen. Seven, eight, nine. Right. So that's a new formula. Right. Everybody needs to have three closers. Right. That's the way it's going to be. In basketball, you know, when you have Shaq, everybody needs that big man. We're going to build around a big man. And all of a sudden, you got now Golden State. So everybody wants to shoot threes. Everybody tries to build this model. I would say in basketball, for to any other sport, real team, you five guys on the court mainly plus your bench. When you have the same core consistently and they've grown up together like they did in Golden State, never mind the KD years, but I can see in Toronto, if you left this core the way it is, everybody's healthy, everybody's playing to their max, I think we got a real shot this year and every year, it, the way the basketball landscape is set up. I mean, this whole idea of now the super teams, and you got to have two superstars, three superstars, back to two superstars, I think that's all washed away. I don't think there's a clear formula now, but I think the Raptors are in a really good spot now and into the future. Yeah, and I think some of that is their coaching. And I think some of that's just the evolution of the modern basketball player. Like when I grew up playing, you, took, you found the biggest guy you could find, and he was your center. And then you had the next two biggest guys were your forwards, and you tried to teach them some low post stuff, and they're playing in the corners. And then you had your, your two guards. And one might have been a point guard, one was a shooting guard, but you still had two guards. And so you found, that's how everybody built the team. You had Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabari, you had Wilt Chamberlain. Everybody's looking for that. And then you find your Jerry West and you, or your Oscar Robertson, and you got, a guy, and you got guys shooting. Basketball is completely different. I think the, J, uh, the Raptors really recognized this last year. It was like, who are our five best athletes? Let's get them on the court at the same time. Forget about what number the, the position is or what you call the position. Let's put our five best athletes on because they're all, you know, 6'4 to, you know, to 6'10. And put the best five guys, and they can all play defense, and they can all play all over the court. And don't give them a number anymore, and don't give them a position anymore. Let's just put our five best athletes and let them go play. And then, and then one of those guys is tired, let's give him a breather and get the next guy in there. And, and I think that's what Nick Nurse was doing last year. And I thought it was, it was a brilliant way to play basketball. They're all such good athletes. You don't have to pigeon a guy. So, oh, no, you're 6'10 you're you're, you're or 6'11. Or, or you can only play with your back to the basket and learn how to take hook shots like Jabbar did. Like, no, you could face the basket. You could shoot three-pointers. You could play anywhere. And then you got to switch off, which is how basketball's defense is played. You're switching off constantly, so anybody can cover anybody. You got to be 
you know, six, you gotta be Fred Van Fleet's gotta cover a guy six foot 10 sometimes and be able to do it effectively. And I think they're learning that. So I, I love the way they play now. And, you know, people have this thing, this uh, bias saying that, you know, the West is so strong and everything's in the West. But yeah, maybe it's very concentrated at the top of the West. But the teams that are good in the East, they're really, really good. You know, you got Milwaukee's always a threat. Philadelphia's always a threat. The team that I think is most... Boston. Boston. The team that I think is most similar to me is Raptors is the Heat. And I simply because great coaching, GM, president, they have stability. A lot of those guys have been there for a while. They brought in the right free agents. I love the mix. I went down to Miami uh, last year, got to see a couple of Heat games. And I got to say, like, consistently, like, including the bench, like, wow, they are a scary, scary team. And it all begins for them with Jimmy Butler. But they got great players that are like 1A, 1B, 1C. Mm-hmm. So they're not quite a super team, but they're more of a team concept. And that's where I see the Raptors going. So I think if they yeah. can get past the Heat, I think they have a pretty good shot. But like you're saying, Boston's pretty scary too. And there's a lot yeah. of good teams out there. Yeah, like I, I, last year, I thought the Heat were, were going to win it. I think the Heat healthy. They could have stayed healthy. I think they were the team to beat because, you know, Jimmy Butler plays that Kawhi rule. Like he can sit back, let everybody, you know, let everybody do their thing the first three quarters. But we need, we need baskets in the fourth quarter. Like he's unbelievable. I needed a steal in the fourth quarter. He's unbelievable. And they bring in a veteran like Kyle Lowry, who we all love. And, and he shows leadership and he shows guts. And then they got the young guys. So there's a good mix of the old and the young, you know, hero. And they got some really good players there. Uh, they ran into a lot of injuries. Uh, but I think they've got a, a good man, good coaching. So um, look out for them this year. So we, we both think that the Raptors may have a good shot this year. So we feel, we're feeling good about the franchise as a whole. Yeah. and. Yeah. As far as their championship aspiration. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm not sure if they could win it because there's a lot of real good competition. Like you said, but I think they're going to be as competitive as anybody. And as these guys grow and mature, like I'd give them a chance as opposed to blowing it up. So now transitioning wise, I'm going to be saving what I would call the best for last or the controversial for last. So we're going to, we have five technically leagues. I'm not going to count lacrosse into this. We're going to get into football as number three. So when we're getting into football now, one of my first questions, because you're more up than me, I take it that the Buffalo Bills have stopped the Toronto experiment. That's over now. Yes. No yeah. longer the Toronto Buffalo Bills. That's done. That's done. That That's did not done. go so well. No, and I, and I bought tickets for that series. Uh, and, and, uh, How long ago did that end, would you figure? Oh, it's at least five years or, or more. It feels and, more and, and I love Buffalo Bills. Like, I'm yeah. a fan. Like, I, I've, I was a season ticket holder in Buffalo for a couple of years. Really? I went oh. to some, some games there, and that's a lot more fun to go to the games and do the tailgating in Buffalo than it ever was in Toronto where they tried to create some big tailgating. But it just uh, didn't work. And Buffalo's got enough, you know, they're a great team right now. Like they're, they're a team that, you know, like a real contender. They were last year too, and I think they are this year. So it'll be fun. But I'm sort of glad that experiment is over because it, it, it was like, we had sort of like fake NFL here. It wasn't real NFL. Well, I mean, the rumor was at some point that they would slowly transition them to Toronto altogether and they'd be the Toronto Bills. And of course, the city of Buffalo. It's funny, anybody that I know ever from Buffalo, in any of their social media, they always have Buffalo Bills gear. Like they love their Bills. Like they love the Sabres, but they really love the Bills. Yeah. So I, I understand they're, gonna, they're not going anywhere and they're definitely not coming here. So if we want football right now, it's not going to be NFL football. For our American and worldwide friends, there's another league. It's called the CFL, the Canadian Football League. So, to my surprise, it is still going. Is right? It is. It is. Go- is it? it is. They- okay. So this is how much I know. I had to ask you yesterday. 
So are they playing in the same field as the as Toronto FC, the stalker team? So that is a yes. Yes. The fact that I had no idea where they're playing was not a good sign. I don't know where to buy tickets because I don't even know when the season is. Are they playing right now? Yeah, they're playing right now. They generally start, I think, late June, early July. The season starts and then because it's supposed to end, usually the Grey Cup is in November. So they are actually. So the NFL is just, you know, getting going. They're so it's been going for a few and, weeks. Oh, yes. Yeah, they're, they're more than halfway through already. Okay. So that's really bad that yeah. I don't know that. Yeah. Um, wasn't sure who. Oh, so you. Ownership wise, I thought that originally the same owner as the, the British Columbia team, that is not the case. M- right. MLSC owns them, you indicated. MLSC owns, uh, owns the Argos now. We don't think that they own the Jays, but we're pretty sure that they own the, so- the, uh, the football team and yeah. the soccer team and the hockey. Team. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got that. Uh, Mike Pinball Clemens, you know, the greatest Toronto Argonaut of all time. Is he a coach or a president? I think he's like a president, quasi GM. Maybe he is the GM. I'm not, but he's quite not sure. He's not the coach, okay. but he's involved in everything the Argos do, and, and, and pretty much these days, yeah. uh, as far as I know. And he's, uh, you know, he's front and center of any media stuff that they're that they're doing. And uh, I swear I'm not I, being I, sarca- I swear I'm not being sarcastic. I generally have no well, clue. I, I get zero notifications on any of my social media. That this league does not exist whatsoever. I I didn't even know the season was going on right now. That's how bad it is. Well, for me. I can tell you a, a little Mike Pinball Clemens story for anybody not like like Please. he's one of the greatest Argos of all time. He's about how tall is he? Five 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 six. If that. And one of the greatest human beings ever. Yeah, ever. And a great ambassador for sports for charities like his city of Toronto everything charities. Yes. You know, you know, and he's known like internationally because he's that type of person all around good guy. So. Not sure the year, but it was the year that it was. I think it was the very first game the Argos played in the Sky Dome at the time, and I get invited down to the game by my wife's first cousin, who happened to be the team's dentist. So he, so he invites me down, knowing that I'm a sports nut and everything. So I'm first game in pinball as a rookie at the time. So he's out there and he's uh, you know, he gets injured in in the first half, and I'm in the locker room with them at, at halftime. They bring him back in the trainer's room because, you know, the dentist goes, you know, he's a dentist. He's there. You know, no one had a tooth problem, but he's in the, he's in the room wherever he goes, I go. So we're in there and he's, they got him on the table and they're examining him and they, they tell him he can, you know, they can give him a shot in his knee or whatever it was and they can get him back out there for the second half and, and everything. And, and, and so they're trying to talk about that. And I remember, you know, the doctors and the coaches sort of left the room and a veteran punter comes in, Hank Alisic, who was a, a Hall of Fame punter. Um, but near the end of his career, he comes in and I remember him going over and saying, you know, like Mike pinball, like, don't do it. Don't take the shot. You got a long career ahead of you. They just want to try and win this game. You won't even feel your leg when you get out there. You never know what you're going to do. You could do permanent, like, don't, don't, don't do it. And I'm sitting there like a fly on the wall going like, wow, this is, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm, I'm hearing this. I wish you had a knife on it. Yeah. Like, yeah, no one did in in those times. So it's just my memory. But you don't forget stuff like that but he ended up taking the shot and, and got back out there and luckily nothing bad happened to him but i thought that was really informative you know that the veteran guy is coming to him saying hey kid like don't do it don't don't succumb to the pressure and he still did and went and went out there so, so that was the kind of guy mike pinball clemens the name that i i always associate with the toronto argonauts again this being canadian cfl canadian football league so I associate Mike Pinball Clemens and Rocket Ragib Ishmael. Ishmael yeah. That was a 
big deal. Like it was imagine like Kyler Murray coming to the CFL. That's the level of Ishmael coming to the CFL. Now at the time the Argonauts were owned by Wayne Gretzky, John Candy, yeah. and Bruce McNall. Yeah. Bruce has had some issues since then. <laughs> Bruce calls the Cormans if you ever need assistance, at least from the real estate side. Yeah, we can't do criminal law though. Uh, I think he's out now, though. Yeah, I think he's out. I think, he's he's out. Well. I think he finished his time. Yeah, he's doing well. Yeah. I, hopefully, he's not back into uh, coin trading or whatever he was. It was actually like rare exotic coins. That's what did him in. But uh, we won't get into Bruce McNall, John Candy since passed. You know, God rest his soul. And Wayne Gretzky is uh, active, is still in hockey and wines and all sorts of great stuff. Yeah. But they were the ones who brought Ragib Ishmael. That was a big deal, booming to the CFL, which slowly led to expansion, which you and I reminisced about off the air. That American teams came to the Canadian Football League, which now seems so obscene, mm -hmm. but they came. Uh, the glorious being that the Baltimore Stallions at the time won the Grey Cup. Our, yep. our, our, our Stanley Cup is the Grey Cup in football for us. And uh, shortly afterwards, Baltimore got an NFL team. The Baltimore Stallions were gone. All the Las Vegas Posse, was that their name? Yeah, Las Vegas Posse, Posse. Shreveport. Had a pirates, team, I think they were pirates. pirates, something like that. Like yes. there was some weird teams. We had some cool teams at the time. Orlando had one, I believe. Yeah. And so they're all gone. No more American teams. We're left with the Canadian teams. And there was so lack of a good amount of nicknames that we actually at one point had two teams called the Rough Riders in this league. Like that's how bad it got. There's a million names you could think of. They're like, no, Rough Riders is the best team. And so we actually had two Rough Riders for a point time. Yeah, for a long time. Like, there's only nine teams in the league. And so we have Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Ottawa Rough Riders. And I, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think one of them, Rough Riders, was spelt as one word and one was spelt as two words. But they couldn't come up with something else. Like, we talked about the other day. Like, there aren't enough animals out there, enough birds you can name a franchise after. You got to come up with some, enough, enough a hurricane, a storm. Like, there's something. Anything. anything. How hard is it to come up with a name? So, and but out of nine teams, two have the same nickname and they allow that? So then Ottawa gets another team and they're saying, okay, we're not going to be the Rough Riders now. We're not going to pay the fee to get that name back. We're going to come up with something original. We're going to be the Red Blacks. What the heck is a Red Black? Don't know. I'm sure they did some sort of study of different names to come up with this. But Was it like I a group of three-year-olds finger painting at this point? Like, their, was that colors, their, their colors were always black, white, and red, like the uniforms. And uh, it must may have come out of that. I don't know. But that's as good as they can come up with. Like, go Red Blacks, like or Black Reds. I don't know what they're called. Red like, Blacks. How do you sure. how do you cheer for them? Like, how do you? Let's you know? go Red Blacks. Yeah, like yeah. I don't know. But David Corman, though, being the genius that he is and the sporting mind that he is, has the solution though of owning a CFL team. There's only one reason to own a Canadian Football League franchise. Why is that, David? Well, and I, I've learned this through people I know that are very involved in the league. And it, it's, it's a really tough league as a businessman to try and make a profit. Or a businesswoman. Or a businesswoman. Person. A business person business to make person. a living in. Yes. Uh, just by the nature of the league, they don't, they don't draw enough. The gate's not enough. and They can't charge enough tickets for those that, that do come to the games right now. Um, you know, gone are the days, you know, even in Toronto, like when I grew up, like the Argos were a big deal. And we'd bet down at Exhibition Stadium and they're drawing... 33,000 people, you know, the capacity for every home game in those days. It was tough to get a ticket. You know, so in those days, you know, the franchise could actually make some money. And, but, but those days are gone, you know, except for a couple of the franchises. Like my understanding, like 
Saskatchewan, which is really a hometown. It's their only professional sports team. So if you're living in Regina or anywhere in the province, you're a big Saskatchewan Rough Rider fan. So, and maybe this, you know, Winnipeg to some degree. But most of the teams, they don't make money. They're losing money and the owners are losing money unless, until they get a Grey Cup. Hosting a Grey Cup is a big event. So they can lose money for a few years and all of a sudden you host a Grey Cup. You can make a lot of that money back by hosting a Grey Cup. And that's just the way the league's been operating for a, for a number of years. To me, the insanity of it, and uh, we also talked about this off the air. It's funny, we have a lot of this conversation. I'm saying, we've got to save this for when we go on the air. <laughs> yeah. But there's only one way to this league to possibly survive. Because I'm, I'm shocked it's still even going, to be quite frank, just because of the lack of viewership and attention that they get, is make it into a D-League. The way the, the, uh, in NBA, they have their minor league franchises, and slowly, slowly, all sports have them. How do you not have a minor league level for the NFL? And by, by all means, let's make a real deal here, because I'm, otherwise, the XFL, I'm sure, is going to try to grab that with the attention they're getting through The Rock and try to be a minor league system for the NFL, and then you can get some of their players and hopefully you can get some uh, money booted to there. I can't see otherwise how this league continues, period. Yeah, I know for a fact, I don't remember the exact time, but I know that they've, they've looked at that at different times with the NFL and the CFL, and they've had certain agreements between them that are more cooperative so you can take a player mid-season in the CFL. Because again, the CFL starts like in June, and you, know, you get to Labor Day, they're, you know, and they're, winding, they're already more than halfway through, and the NFL is just getting going. So the NFL would pick off certain players, you know, year after year, mm -hmm. you know, that, that might be better in the CFL than the guys they have in their training camp. So I know that they've had discussions, negotiations, certain agreements over that. But I think what the NFL has really discovered is their farm system is the American college system. Yeah. They got so many players coming up every single year. They got a whole new crop that every single guy wants to play in the NFL. And a lot of them are really good, too. And the, and the reality is it's such a brutal sport that the lifespan for most of these, the career span for most of these players in the NFL, it's, it's two, three, four years. Like it's, you know, we hear about the Tom Brady's going around for, for 20 years, but if he was an offensive lineman, he's not playing for 20 years. You know, if he's a running back, he's not playing for that long. Like it's the odd guy that has a long career. Most of them have a really short time frame. So I think they, it's way less expensive for them just, you know, draft guys every year and bring them on and have taxi squads and develop them that way, then really look to the CFL for, uh, you know, a couple, you know, diamonds in the rough. And think how crazy it is as far as the amount of games we're talking about here. Like, talk about baseball. We start off with baseball. 162-game season, 81 home games plus preseason, playoffs, whatever. Then you start getting into hockey and basketball and 81 games or 82 games, whatever they're at, and then 40-something odd home games. In football, you're talking about maybe 16 games, right. maybe eight home games. Right. Like, how do you not sell out eight games in a year? Like, it's not possible unless you're that bad or from a league standpoint. One of the things that just kind of occurred to me, we're talking about leadership of, of the Toronto teams. Think about in, in the whole CFL as it is. Do you know who the commissioner is? The CFL? Yeah. Uh, Armbrose or something like that. Yeah. I, they, but my, I can't think of his name right now. Yeah. But like John Tory was at one point, right? Yeah, I believe. Yeah. And and the thing is, if you think about the leagues that most thrive, their commissioners are there a long time, like yeah. 20, 30 years plus. Think how long Bettman's been in the NHL. Yeah. Yeah. Think how long the NFL was with good uh they they switched over uh they had their commissioner for uh, Tagaboo and then now it's Goodell, right? Mm -hmm. And there's consistency. Major League Baseball, 
you know, as far as Bud Seeley goes, and now Rob Manfred has had his issues. But again, it's still consistency, and they're there. CFL has changed over their commissioner so many times, I can't even think of what, who the person is now. And then you get into the Toronto Argonauts themselves, and I was trying to think of who the ownership was. Can you name me one player on the team? Right now? Yeah. No. Who's their starting quarterback? Don't know. Me neither. Is it Barker? Well, he was the coach. I don't know. No. It's, that's no. the, that's uh, where we're at. No, no it's, it's, it's terrible. And, and I grew up as a CFL fan, you know, and, and I was a season ticket holder not long ago when they first went into the, uh, to the stadium that they're in. I, and, I, and I took my, my two sons uh, to games who are sports nuts as much as I am. They love sports. But th- it, was, it was so boring. The game was so boring, and I'm, I'm like, but you know, but wait, but there's this. There's I couldn't, I couldn't make enough excuses, and and they, they don't want to go back. It, the the game itself is not as exciting as it once used to be. A fabulous product with really good players. Now you you get some games that are really exciting, and you know, some of the CFL rules I love. It's a great brand of football because yes. uh, you know CFL properly played under those rules it can be way more exciting than an NFL game. Yes. You know, but. But you need players and you need consistency. You need really good quarterbacks. It's a quarterback league. And uh, without, a good, without a good quarterback, a team is no chance. I could tell you that as a general sports fan, a sports lover that I am, and there's certain teams and certain leagues that I more uh, gravitate to, uh, going to see the NFL live, I don't know if anything beats it. It is utterly insanity. I've been to Detroit. I've been to Buffalo and Pittsburgh. It's just it's the best thing on earth if you're a sports fan and watch teams live on a, on a given sunday yeah uh i've been to one toronto argonauts game my whole life that's it that's it that's it and don't plan on seeing any further uh right now do you even know what the record of the argos is at this point i, I know they're just above 500 i think okay. they're a first place team but it's like oh. everybody's sort of bunched up like you lose one game and you're in second or third they're they're there they're competitive yeah. They're, they're as competitive as anybody. And look, you know, I don't mean to be bashful. I love the CFL, and I really want it to do well. I've got a friend who's who's uh, an owner of one of the franchises right now, so I'm I'm rooting for them to do to do well, make comeback. And I know he has certain frustrations by it because it's it's nine different owners who have are, are in very different markets, and they don't they can't come up with some unity of what's best for the league. And in any business, you know, it's you can have a, a law firm of nine partners. But if they're not on page the same page as what's best for the firm, and everybody's just looking out for their own practice, eventually the partnership's not going to work, right? The firm's not going to work because you're because you're, you have nine different different firms operating, and that's sort of the way the CFL is right now. They've got everybody sort of doing their own thing, and nobody's thinking bigger picture what's best for the league, and it's hard for them to get everybody together that way. You know, Toronto gets labeled as a sports town, like we love our sports. And all I say to that is, go look at some of the attendance numbers for the Blue Jays over the course of the last few years before they got hot again, so to speak. Look at our minor league numbers as far as minor league baseball, minor league hockey. Uh, we're finicky fans. We like winners, and we gravitate to the Leafs. We gravitate to the Raptors, occasionally to the Blue Jays. Like it's it's a tough market to crack as as a sports team in general. Mm-hmm. And it's, and if we had the NFL, I'm pretty certain we would have sold out, but we don't. And that's where I'm kind of seeing now from the CFL point, we were talking about the State of the Union. If we hosted the Grey Cup game, I don't know if I would know about it. If we were in the Grey Cup in any city, I don't know if I'd know about it. And I don't know what the parade would even look like. That's where they're at. And that's something I think that they have to assess as a team, as a league. Because I'm not going to sit and blame the Argonauts. Not far from it. I think it's a, it's a, it's a whole league epidemic at mm-hmm. that point. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, look, and, and I did attend Grey Cup parades in this city, and they were fabulous. And there was, and I was just as exciting as, as a Blue Jays parade or the Raptors parade. Like, it was a big deal. But, but that era has sort of gone. Because, yep. um, you know, back when I became a CFL fan, you know, the Raptors didn't exist. The Blue Jays didn't exist. Uh, you know, it was the Leafs and the Argos. Like, yep. those were the, the franchise. There was no soccer team in the city. So, you know, the Argos and the CFL were, were a big deal. So, you know, but, but they, you can't go back to that because no matter what you do, you know, everybody, sports fans like, like me and you, we, we like all the sports. So if you're going to some Leaf games, you're going to some Raptors games, you go to some Blue Jays games, you might go to a soccer game, it, it just gets down the totem pole of priorities. And, and you like the NFL too. So it's hard to fit everything in. And Toronto's a big city and we got all these franchises right now. And that's one of the great segues to team number four and league number four. I would say if there was any hope from a football standpoint, it's the competition and, you know, the newest sister in town that's been here now for actually a number of years, but it still feels relatively new, is our soccer team. Mm-hmm. So we're not in the European leagues. We are in the MLS. Uh, that's the league called? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so Major called League the, Soccer. Team is owned by MLS E. Yeah. They play in the MLS <laughs> and they are called Toronto FC. Toronto football, club, Toronto football Club, but it's soccer football. Yeah. So that's, that is, and for a while, they were one of the hotter leagues, hotter uh, teams, I would say, in the city. They got, when they, their, their stadium got built up and David Beckham was playing in LA. There was a lot of buzz around it. Yeah. You know, and if there's one thing I could say about soccer, being a North American soccer observer, and I'm not going to say soccer fan or hater, I'm just going to say I'm an observer at this point, is you, people get excited when those name, cachet names come over to the league. And it's usually when they're in the tail end of their careers and they're getting paid big bucks and they don't want to stay in Europe or wherever they are, and then they come over here. That's yeah. my impression yeah. of North American soccer. Yeah. Look, and I think it's like TFC is a real success story, I think, from a business point of view. I think it's come out, you know, it came out of nowhere. Um, the franchise as, as a... Um, like the quality of soccer and their success was horrible for a long period of time. They really took a long time to put a competitive team out there. But in the meantime, they created a, a fan base that's like, that, that just absolutely loves it. And the fan base has grown. And I went to games in the early days when the, when the team was terrible and you hope you saw a good visiting team come in, but you always had a good time down there. It was a lot of fun. You know, but I grew up playing soccer, so I know a little bit of the difference of good soccer and not such good soccer. And, 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 but the quality of soccer in the league wasn't great because, like you said, it was bringing in guys past the Like Pele played in, in this league, uh, you know, when the league was first formed. And then, you know, later, you know, more recently, guys like David Beckham. And there's always some guys on the downside of their career that come over and play. And it's great to see these guys. But the type of soccer that's played in this league is very different from what you'll see in the big leagues in, in other countries. It's, you know, and I, I've talked to you off the air. It's, it's more comparable, you know, if you have the NHL with the best players in the world, and then you've got the American Hockey League. So sometimes it looks like the American Hockey League. Sometimes it looks like the Eastern East Coast Hockey League, you know, with, with some of the caliber. But there's certain players on every team that are world class, that are as good as anybody. But you don't see them able to play that type of soccer because they don't have because it's not 11 guys on the field at the same time playing that level of soccer so silly question for you are they currently playing is the season going on yeah they are yeah again i did not know that 
And it's hard to know when the soccer season is. No idea. And I don't really know either. It seems like they're always playing. Kind of. Because sometimes they're playing in the winter. Sometimes they're playing. Because they're doing the friendly season. matches. Yeah, there's different leagues yes. and and there's different competitions. And it's not all like, I don't, I don't know what the actual, I couldn't tell you what the actual start date is for the league and when the championships are, like what their actual season is. Because it seems like the team is always playing beyond that. They're starting earlier and they're playing later because they're playing in these other competitions too. Why do they call them friendlies? Why don't they, they call them hate matches? Wouldn't they be much more interesting? Would they sell more tickets? Yeah. If they say this is bitter rivalry match, is it a friendly friendly? It well, that's like your background in wrestling coming mm -hmm. through. You want everything to be a, you know, a grudge match. It's a, it's to the death. It's a, a steel cage match. It's right. I can tell you, Monday night, I was there at Scotiabank Arena. WWE was taping Monday Night Raw, and the place was packed, and people were yelling. It was amazing. Edge came back, the Canadian wrestler. And we had a great time. I knew when that was coming up. I'm following that vividly. Yeah. And put me in for a night of Monday Night Raw over North American soccer any day of the <laughs> week. I am the happiest guy possible. I was wearing my Macho Man shirt. It was fabulous. Yeah. And and I grew up, you know, we've talked about it before. I, I grew up a wrestling fan too. I used to go down to, to Maple Leaf Gardens Sunday night. It was usually their, their wrestling card. And this was like before the WWE. E and WWF days. WWF. Yeah. So like yes. it predated that, but it, but it was uh, like the place was jammed. You couldn't get more people in the building for a Sunday night card. You know, we had the Sheik and Lord Athel Layton was running the show and you had some of these, uh, you know, these, you know, now are considered legends, but, you know, back in the day. But, but then wrestling was taken to a whole different level with, you know, with, with Vince McMahon and when, when he created that and everything. But man, it was it was a great sporting event in Toronto back in those days too. So maybe at halftime of at Toronto FC when they're playing MLS style soccer, maybe at the halftime show they can bring a wrestling ring and have some wrestling. I'm more likely going to be watching it that way. Brilliant. Yes. Brilliant. But that being said, it's from what I'm hearing. It's funny. A lot of times in life, you don't hear necessarily when good things are going well, but you sure as hell hear when it's going bad. And I'll say this much about Toronto FC. I don't ever read anything negative about them. Maybe I'm not reading very much, yeah. but I'm sure not reading anything negative. And I got to say this much. They win a championship. There's going to be a parade. And people, the ones I see wearing the gear, there yeah. are fans out there. Yeah, no, and they had a championship a few years ago. And now they're just sort of a bit of a slide since then. Mm -hmm. But same thing. They were, they were a team that was close to a championship. And they made a couple bold moves and brought in a couple world-class players and sort of you know, pushed them over the top. And they, and they had a championship season. And they were extremely competitive for a few years, and now the more recent years they're a bit of, you know, they're a bit of a downslide. But now they've they've just uh, signed a couple other guys that that might bring them back up if they can. You know, they got a couple. They've got their Kawhi Leonard type of guys yes. in place now, but they got to get enough of a surrounding cast to make them competitive again. I gotta say that I don't have the numbers in front of me, but when you see what they paid for an expansion fee back then and what the teams are worth now. For the most part, unless you're in a CFL, sorry, against CFL, but at almost any professional sports league at this point, how much these teams are now worth, it's astronomical money. We think about when George Bush Jr. went and owned the Texas Rangers and sold it at the time, I don't know, for like $200 million or whatever it is and seemed like a lot of money. Now we're talking into the billions. Like We're now talking sports leagues in the billions. So MLSC is laughing all the way to the bank on that one. It's been a good investment. And also, for all us major markets, for the most part, go turn on your, uh, your channels on, on your cable box, and you have 900 channels, and you have at least 60 different sports ones. They need content to fill it. Mm -hmm. you know, they can only watch so much poker at the end of the day, so having live sports is a big deal.
So it's great to see we have a sports league in that sense. Yeah. I don't see us ever moving to the European League, but again, it's good that we just have more sports, but obviously keeping it competitive. So it seems like they're in a good shape. And so we're going to talk last and certainly least is their big brother, and that's the team that rules uh, Toronto sports, and that is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Toronto Maple Leafs are so big that sitting in Monday Night Raw, they had limited edition Toronto Maple Leaf Edge shirts for one night only. Really? Why do I need a shirt? I'm a wrestler named Edge <laughs> showing Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. And as he was finishing off his, uh, the match, and he did win, by the way, just beat Damian Priest. And, yeah. You know, they didn't cheat. And also that was good on Edge. But when Edge gave his speech afterwards, he was talking about how he'll be back in another year. Probably around August of 2023, he's going to wrestle his last match ever. It'll be in Toronto. The Toronto fans were all captivated by this. And he ended it off with a chant of, Go Leafs Go. go." Go. The whole arena was going bananas saying, Go Leafs Go. Right. I cannot escape these guys, even going to wrestling. If you're in Toronto, you're going to talk about the Leafs. Yeah. So. And not easy to be a Leafs fan. You know, it's, 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 Fun in so many ways, but what other franchise, professional league franchise, can can a team not succeed for fifty five years and still have the following and the passion that the Toronto Maple Leafs have? Fifty five years since they they won a, they won the championship, and and not even like a sniff since. Like they haven't been in the in the finals since. They you know they've they've had a a couple of runs here or there. Uh, but it's one disappointment after run, this. one run. The Doug Gilmore, Wayne Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky series. Uh, that was it. right. That's that's as close as they came, and uh, and they've just you know missed opportunities. But it doesn't matter. Like it's bulletproof. There's just such a a loyalty, such a passion for the Leafs, and and it's always like, well, there's next year, and there's you know, and, and every you know, as a diehard, that's what I always think. You know, as as you know, they got a great team to watch. Great, really exciting regular season game. They've got some fabulous players. You know, we talk about world class players. You know, as good as they they have, um, you put them up against anybody. But they haven't been able to finish the deal. They haven't been able to get, you know, get that run going in the playoffs. So you've been around Toronto sports long enough. You've been around Toronto Maple Leafs long enough. I've talked about the Leafs nauseum with uh, my good friend Zach Rain, our good friend Zach Rain. Yep, come on a couple of times to talk about the Leafs on the yep. Chosen Life. But I'm going to ask you now, in your estimation, is there a bit of a conspiracy theory going? The theory to me goes like this. The Leafs actually win it. The people will feel saturated. They won't care as much. It's that hope for the next year, next year, and the carrot that's dangling. In some ways, are they purposely sabotaging themselves so they keep those fans going? Yeah, I I don't buy it. I I think the level that they'll achieve if they actually win here will be like none other anywhere else in the history of sports in Canada anyways like it, you just can't compare it to anything there's such a loyalty from coast to coast and and other places in the world wherever the Leafs go when the Leafs you know are playing in LA you know half the building is is Leaf fans when they're playing in Florida three quarters of the building is Leafs fans they play in New York they play wherever they are there's displaced Canadians and Leaf fans everywhere they'll all come out of the woodwork they'll all be celebrating it'll be the greatest thing ever and if they actually do it, the, you know, the guys that are on the team are immortalized. You know, if it, whether it be Matthews, Marner, or whoever it's going to be that be on that team, they'll be immortalized in this city. Like, we're still talking about the 67 team. Yes. 
and you know and like Johnny Bauer and and all the guys that were and Dave Keon and, and the guys that were part of that team are part of Toronto folklore and, and the reason they stay so high is because it's been 55 years since anybody else has won so those guys are always the champions because there's nobody that's that's come along to replace them so whoever does that will be immortalized in this city and I think the franchise will you know will reach levels that it's you know that it's never could even imagine so they'll be you think they're going to sell a few more shirts and a few more you know banners and things like that if uh, if if they win and that'll last for a period of time you know and maybe it'll come back but it'll never look they've been this successful this long without winning you can only imagine the heights they'd reach by winning so i had a solution with zach Zach kind of liked it i'll see how you're going to feel about this but i think there's only one way to do this it's theo epstein so theo <laughs> epstein in baseball yeah goes and gets rid of the red sox curse gets rid of the cubs curse Always consulting Major League Baseball and equity firms and making his coin, and he's a very happy man. I mean, this man is a proven curse killer. This is clearly a curse at this point. It's yeah. nothing but a curse. Yeah. And I don't know if any shaman can fix the Leafs at this point. So bring in Theo Epstein. Maybe Theo's the guy. Theo's the guy. Whatever you did in baseball, just use the same logic. The way you got pitching for the Red Sox, get some goaltending for the Leafs and just put this team together, put a well-rounded sports team. I think any executive in any sport, really, unless you were a person that grew up and played that sport, you take your principles and you go run any, any franchise like that, let's bring in Theo Epstein. There you well, go. Well, he, he might be the solution. I think you're onto something there. Uh, and, and I think the Leafs, the, the, probably the best comparison would be the Boston Red Sox. As you know, teams you know, that have money, have systems, have a minor league system, have feeder systems, have good players, can be competitive, and then they didn't win for so long they just couldn't win right and then once they won like you know did that make you know was it over and done it was no okay we won now we want to we got to do it again in a couple of years we got you know right there's the hunger to, to keep it going and they managed to win a a couple more um but it's you know they got they got they got to get past that first curse so if it takes bringing theo in i'm 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 all for it i mean you look at the red sox when they had solid ownership solid gm solid coaching it all came together the Maple Leafs, what the history when I was growing up, did not have the most solid ownership on the planet. He nope. had a bit nope. of a recluse, we can call him, Mr. Harold Ballard. Right. And he it was a bit of a shit show. Let's just call it what it was. Right. But once they got the ownership structure together and Mr. Tannenbaum is doing great things there, we have, I think, really good, for most part, uh, administratively, the uh, executives. Then we got the coaching part. I think we just can somehow to tie this thing together. And, you know, there's so... In some way, like the Blue Jays, they're so on the cusp. They have all these wingers and scorers, the same way the Jays have all these hitters, goaltending, pitching. It all comes down to it. Like I always bring up uh, Biddington in St. Louis. Man, when, when you have a goaltender that the puck looks like a beach ball for him, right. it's so fun to watch. Right. You take Biddington when he was doing it on St. Louis, put him on the Leafs. Oh my God, we're going like, we're not losing a game all year right. with what we have. Right. So I hope they're going to put it together. In my estimation right now, if I'm a betting man, I'm going to Vegas. I think I'm going to go on record now. If they stay fairly healthy, they're going to win around this year for sure. That's where I see it going. But I don't see it going past that. And, it, and they're especially, they're in a league where they're choked with that cap. Like there's no way around it. Like you got capologists figure out, okay, I'm going to put this guy on the injured reserve and then bring him back as the playoffs start. And it's not going to count against the cap. You have to be, you have to do all these semantics. But when you have like five wingers that are all going to get five million plus, it ain't going to happen. So eventually we're going to have to lose our talent. And I can't see it happening. They, they better deliver this year or next year. Or they, I'm not going to say they're going to blow up the team, 
but changes are going to come, and I don't see it happening. Do you see yeah. a parade coming if you're going to go on record right now? I, I really thought uh, the last two years were great opportunities. The the, the year with uh, when we were playing in an all Canadian division, it, to me, it was like a no brainer. We're going to come out of that division, right? Like, who do we got to beat? We were beating up on these teams all year. We just got to beat them in the playoffs, and, we're, and, we're, and that gives gets us the Stanley Cup Finals, and maybe we play a Colorado or. A, or a, or a Tampa or somebody good in the finals, but we should get there. And they, they managed to blow that, right? And this past year too, I thought they were, you know, they had a tough draw in Tampa in the first round, but, you know, they were good enough to beat Tampa, but they didn't. They managed a way not to do it. Look, and, and I look at, you know, the Leafs as a franchise, sometimes their timing has just been horrible. When there was no cap in the league, we had the worst owner. We had, we had it was the Harold Ballard era that wa- wasted, you know, a decade or more when they could have spent whatever they wanted to spend on coaching, on development, and, and bring in players, but he wouldn't spend the money. And by the time we got better ownership in that would do all that, they put a cap on it. And, and now we're screwed because of that. And uh, you know, because if, if, if Toronto, the revenue that the Leafs can generate, if we were in a non-cap league, like we'd be the Yankees. Right. We'd be we'd be spending and we'd be winning championships. I'm I'm convinced of that, right? But they're squeezed with the with the cap right now, so it's it's tough. It's not just about finding players; it's finding players that can fit in in the salary that you're offering. And so that's that's a whole different challenge. Well, look, there, we have people working on this day and night. We have people analyzing this day and night. I can tell you that a lot of our posts. We've had a lot of comments. Most commented uh, episodes of The Chosen Life, aside from wrestling, yeah. have been the Toronto Maple Leaf episodes and people telling us you know, that we're geniuses or we're insane and debating the, the whole idea of uh, Patrick Kane coming on to the Leafs. Is that going to happen? Yeah. And the whole goaltending situation. So there's a lot of people watching and a lot of people commenting. And we'd love to hear from them and tell us, you know, do you think this is going to be the year? Do you agree with my whole Theo Epstein theory? Let's talk about it. But, you know, that's where it's really great about the community where we can all debate it. And as if we're going to come to some consensus and then it's actually going to happen. Right. But that's unfortunately not the case. And that's right. one of the things that we but, love about sports. But everybody in Toronto is a Toronto Maple Leafs general manager in their mind. Like we, everybody thinks that they, they know what has to be happening. You know, oh, let's, let's pick up Patrick. Let's pick up Kane and give him, give him a bag of pucks. Like everybody always forgets that there's got to be something going the other way. Right, so it's the same thing. It's the it's back to the Kevin Durant argument. Like, do you want to strip your team to bring in one good player, strip your future, right? But everybody's an amateur GM, especially when it comes to the Leafs and Toronto, which is what makes it fun, and that's what keeps us going, and that's why we always say, well, there's next year, there's a few moves they can make them, and we spend as Leaf fans, we spend as much time following the Leafs in the off season as we do in the regular season. Like, we we want to win the off season as much as we want to win the regular season. I, the most items I get on my sports feed, and it just comes randomly based on stuff I've read before, I get so many hypothetical Maple Leaf trades all the time put into my feed for some reason. Things that make no sense whatsoever. Debating when a guy's going to be a free agent in three years from now if we're going to sign him. Right. It's, it's absolutely obscene. Right. So looking past our generation and now being a grandfather and your grandkids as they're going to learn sports, what are you going to, to sum up today's episode, what are you going to teach your grandkids about Toronto sports and what are you going to encourage them to root for? Well, I, I just sort of do the same thing I did with my own kids growing up. Like I, I, I think sports is such an important part of anybody growing up. I think you have to expose them to it. Now, some kids are going to gravitate it more than others. Some are going to like playing it, playing certain sports. 
and and some are not going to be that interested and they're going to take up music or drama or they're going to do something else but i think as a parent you want to expose them to it and see if they find interest and you know i'm already seeing that you know with with my grandkids not much because my oldest one's only five years old but but uh but i've I've got a um, a two-year-old grandson that's totally into sports already like nosebleed he can name the you know he can go through the starting lineup he's two years old he can go to the starting line of blue jays. he'll get through the first five or six in the batting order in order he knows the blue jays he knows about the leafs we went down to a marley's game with him this year he loves it you just see certain kids have a natural passion for it you know which sports they end up doing or liking or playing you, you never know but why not expose them to everything you know like i grew up with you know playing soccer following soccer i exposed my two sons to soccer they wanted nothing to do with it nothing they wanted to play hockey you know, hockey 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 you know all day long so you never know but you, you expose them and then they decide what they like i grew up playing tennis and i grew up watching baseball and wrestling you know we all find our stuff but i, I agree with you 100 percent. kids should have any kind of activity level i think at a young age is really really important and playing any kind of sport with this team sport it's really good as far as learning teamwork which will serve you later on in life or learning individual sports as well following any kind of sport whatsoever I know people very often think it's childish, it's silly, but you know what? It, there is a lot of reality into sports. And again, using those sports metaphors professionally, they do work. Yep. And, and especially, look, you end up going to a dinner party or you're on somebody's boat, the conversation comes up. It's nice to have at least be able to fake it or be able to get by because people are always talking about it. So it's good to know what's going on in the sporting world community professionally as well. No, I agree. And, and I think we learn from sports, whether you do it by playing it yourself or just following sports the way nuts like you and I do, you, you learn what works. And you know, the Leafs, no matter how good their first and second line are, they could put six fabulous players out there, world-class players. But if their third line sucks and, can't, and gets, out, you know, it gets outplayed by Tampa's third line, we end up losing the game. Right. And, and the same thing in baseball. You can have the greatest, you know, one through five or six hitters. But if your seven, eight, nine guys can't get a hit once in a while, you know, it, it, it falls apart. So you learn you're only as good as, like I mentioned earlier, as the weakest links on your team. Find the right role, put them in the best position to achieve. And, and I think we learn that those type of lessons, we bring them to the, to the business world and, and, and our family worlds. And you, you've got to find, you know, what makes people tick and press the right buttons. Well, David, I got to tell you, Knowing you for the amount of years, it's been almost eight years together, you and I, since we first met. I can tell you professionally and personally, you are the strongest link I know. You set the bar very, very high. And it's an absolute pleasure to work with you and to be friends with you day by day. And for people to reach out to you on social media, we'll have the handle, certainly, if they want to talk sports with you, talk real estate, corporate. I know you're very engaging. And so funny how many of your clients, you know, that you're working with uh, on a daily basis, you talk about everything but law. Inevitably, it always comes back to sports. Yeah, a lot of it does. It's really something which is which is great. It makes being in the business world more fun too, because you know because you're you develop relationships. You know, it's all about relationships, and some of the common bonds we have, you know, it comes back to sports because we we live in the same city, we cheer for the same teams. So whether it's from a business point of view or it's your family members or your own kids, you, you know, you got nothing to talk about. He goes, oh, how about those Blue Jays? And boom, you're off to a conversation, right? So it's, it's an important part of our, of our lives, and we learn a lot from it. So anyway, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. And hopefully we'll be together one day together on a parade uh, soon enough. Absolutely. And uh, I'm, I apologize it's taken 35-plus episodes <laughs> to get you on, but we had to get the set just right for you. 
And I got to tell you, the couch suits you completely. So <laughs> hope to have was... you back sooner than uh, to episode 70. So we'll have you before. Yeah, well, this was a, it's a great setting and a great opportunity. And, and just, you know, that part of my chosen life, the David Corman chosen life, has Jonathan Hakoen in it. And uh, you're a big part of it. And I'm glad we have this opportunity to do it. And I hope we do uh, many more. I'm sure we'll have many more opportunities either on the David and David podcast, on this podcast, we'll be doing it in, in the future too. So thanks for the opportunity. My pleasure. Maybe one day it'll be the Mark Bagwell Wrestling Series. We'll never know. <laughs> and as we sign off, I know your favorite part, right? We pull out the arms. Yeah, I don't want to. And emba- we say. I don't want to embarrass you. Keep uh, living the chosen life. Living the chosen life. Thanks, David. Thank you.